Hi, it's Taylor. Quickly jumping in before the episode starts to let you know that we've changed our name and are now Sisters Assemble. You can find our updated social handles in the show notes. Enjoy the show! Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Katie, and we're two sisters and borderline obsessed Marvel fans who have been following the Marvel Cinematic Universe closely for years. And now we want to share our MCU discussions with you. We chat about our own predictions and theories, plus some of our favorites from online, and our reactions to all of the Marvel content that's considered MCU canon, including the Disney Plus shows and the movies, as well as the Marvel news you need to know. Okay, listeners, we have a very special show for you today. We are going to be talking Ant-Man and Civil War as part of our Marvel Replay series. And I say it's a special show because, as all of you may know, if you've listened to this show for any period of time, Captain America Civil War is the film that got me from being a casual MCU fan into being the fan that I am today. So I'm so, so, so excited to dive into that today. And we're also going to talk Ant-Man, which is great timing considering Quantumania is only a few weeks away. So it is going to be a good one for you today. Katie, we're going to start with Ant-Man. Why don't you kick us off? Okay, so... I have to, and I feel like we've been saying this for the past few couple movies, with the exception of, I think, Winter Soldier, but, like, Ant-Man is one I don't rewatch often either. (laughs) I feel like there's a good spin that I just don't go back and watch as much, and this is kind of that area, mainly because for Ant-Man, like, I like him as a character. I definitely have realized while we've been doing these replays that I've started to appreciate characters like Ant-Man and Hawkeye a lot more. But at the time, I had my favorites, and I stuck very clearly to where my favorites were on the spectrum, so I really don't go back to this movie often. But I'm glad we did, for a lot of reasons. And one, because, like you said, Quantumania is coming out. I'm really happy that I watched at least the first film, especially, because, I mean, and I'll watch the second one, obviously, probably before the movie, but... It was nice to see this film because they talked about the quantum realm a little bit, and he actually entered it at one point. So that was, like, something that I really enjoyed and felt better about going into Quantumania about. But then on top of that, like, I feel like there were a lot of small comments here and there because, you know, Hank Pym fits in with the S.H.I.E.L.D. people. Like, his history is with S.H.I.E.L.D. So... I feel like with some of the history and the comments that get made in this film, it really does put together some of the other lines that are being put out there. Yeah, no, totally. I couldn't agree more. You know, I think I, too, was watching Ant-Man and was like, oh, wow, like, there's a lot of, like, really interesting thoughts in here. Obviously, the quantum realm is huge. But just even, like, as a character, too, like, I think the way that these two go into one another, Ant-Man and Civil War, setting up the character. I think sometimes with introductions to characters, like, you don't always get a ton of connections to the MCU. And I think that's true with Ant-Man. Like, for example, like, I don't have a ton of, like, notes to talk about, like, oh, this has ramifications down the road and things like that. But I think the ones that I do are really important. And to your point, it's like Quantum Realm, Hank Pym and his history, you know, things like that, and then obviously where Ant-Man goes. And I was watching actually a featurette about Quantumania, and I think it was Kevin who said, you know, Ant-Man is an interesting character because he's kind of on the periphery, but then when it comes to Endgame, like, 
he's basically the key to everything. So it's like this character who's like kind of tangentially related to the MCU later becomes so important. And so like, even though it's not chock full of like, you know, ramifications and things and little notes to talk about the way the Civil War is, like it's still like a really important film. And I'm very excited to kind of dive deep into those few things that are really, really worth noting. Yeah, and I just got to put out there real quick, for anybody who grew up, and I'm going to say on the older version of Pop Tropica, I never realized how much this reminds me of Shrink Ray Island, which I spent like a whole summer trying to beat the one time, because you're literally shrunk, and you're in a house, and everything is ten times bigger than you, and you're trying to figure all this out and get yourself you know, back to normal size. That's the whole idea of getting out of this island. And I literally, as soon as he shrunk the first time, I was like, wow, I have like almost PTSD from trying to complete this island on this game. But like, that's what it reminded me of. So it was kind of fun. And it it made me relate more to this film just in that (laughs) weird, small, little, like dumb way. But to your point, like it doesn't have bigger ramifications, at least that we've seen yet besides him coming into Civil War. But it's a very seamless introduction. And I know we'll get into Civil War, but I want to say like, and I know we'll talk about this specifically, but we don't get that with Spider-Man because he's kind of just thrown in that film versus, you know, when Ant-Man shows up, we're like, hey, we totally just saw him. We got a whole movie about him. We know all about him. Like when he makes that comment about, oh, you know. I'm perfectly, like, okay with the, like, beside the law, whatever, when the cap is saying, you know, this makes you a criminal. Like, we understand that, because we're like, yeah, dude, we totally, like, we saw you get out of jail. We saw you, you know, do everything you were doing. I would love to see some bigger ramifications from this film, though, because, I mean, the Pym Particle and everything based off of that, but specifically the Pym Company and, you know, what Darren was creating, and obviously we saw, like, the whole building pretty much just, like... (laughs) implode i don't really know what to call that but you know that to me like that's a ramification i'd love to see where like further where that could take us but yeah i mean to the movie itself i liked the jabs from the past so like especially let's say you know at the very beginning we're introduced to well i guess not really fully introduced but we're kind of brought in with shield and we obviously see peggy we see howard that carson dude who ends up being like a baddie I just had a question of how he even got in that position. Like, they gave a little bit of his background, but, like, I was like, how did he... Like, I know Peggy and Howard had that connection. I understood that. I saw where they came from. But I was like, how did this Carson guy rise to that level of power within S.H.I.E.L.D.? Well, he did represent Hydra in Ant-Man, so I almost wonder if he was a Hydra operative. No, definitely. But I'm just, that's why I'm trying to figure out, like, on top of that, I'm like, this is the elite. Like, these are the founders of S.H.I.E.L.D. sitting here. You know what I mean? So I was like... Yeah, they did mention his title. They said he was really high up. I think he just worked his way up. And then when he retired, that's when he became essentially, like, a broker for mercenaries. So he wasn't necessarily, like, yes, obviously he was shady within S.H.I.E.L.D., but he wasn't, like, I got the impression he wasn't openly shady within S.H.I.E.L.D., And it wasn't until he retired and went for the money grab that he was, like, really openly, like, brokering mercenary deals and, like, arms deals and stuff like that. Yeah. That's kind of the impression that I got, that he was, like, a little more legit when he was in S.H.I.E.L.D. One other thing relating to that that I thought was pretty awesome and I have written in my notes 
is you actually see when they show that shot in 1989, they're actually building the Triskelion, which we just saw destroyed in The Winter Soldier. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, didn't I literally thought that I was like, I didn't know they rebuilt those. I thought those fell. And then I realized, <laughs> and then they did the date. And I was like, never mind. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I swore they didn't rebuild those. Those just fell into the water. And that was the end of that. But yeah. No, I thought that was pretty cool because I, that's what I mean though. It's stuff like that, that especially in the first three phases, and I don't want to speak for phase four yet because, you know, phase one was fairly disconnected from itself. So I don't want to speak about phase four as like to diss it in any way because I don't know yet what five is going to bring us. But definitely like the first three phases, there was a lot of calling back to things. And I really do appreciate that because it makes everything feel extremely cohesive with one another. Yeah. And I think too, like what's important that they did that at that time was you have to think we didn't have all the context yet. Like so much of this is context that they had to like retroactively fill in because, you know, unless you're a fan of the comics, it was, it didn't exist. Even if you're a fan of the comics, you always have to wonder like, okay, you know, are they going to take it directly from the comic storyline? How are they going to twist it? Like, it's never, I don't want to say never, but it's very rarely a one-for-one fit. And I think, too, like, one of the creators, I'm gonna, I've am i been seeing a lot of the Ant-Man promos, of course, online as we're getting ramped up, and I think one of the creators or the writers said recently, you know, yeah, we obviously take inspiration from the comic books, but, like, we don't want to take exactly frame for frame what it is because then you know exactly what to expect. We like to take the storyline and then give it a major twist so that even if you're a fan of the comic books, you're not going to be like, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen here. No, exactly. But I have to say something as we were at the very beginning, as we're being introduced to Ant-Man, Scott, well, I guess Scott before he's Ant-Man. I have two things from the very beginning. And one kind of is to your point about these things that like kind of, bring back and go forward or whatever. So the first one is, I didn't realize that Scott's, like, an electrical engineering person. Yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah, I did not... I don't know if I just don't remember or if I never even caught that, but when they mentioned that, I was like... And not that I thought he was stupid by any means, but, like, I was like, well, that's not just some, like, shabby, like, like random major that's, like, just... Uh, like, that's electrical engineering well not only did he study that in school he had a master's in it so exactly. he like went on to get further education so like i know it's it's often something that i think i don't think about either like scott slept on as a very intelligent dude and i think too one of the things that i kept noticing throughout the film was like he was even like adjusting the ant-man suit and like hank pym trusted him to do that because he knew he had the skills and the knowledge to be able to do that so i think that's something that a lot of people don't really think about with Scott is like, actually, he's like really, really smart. So let's not discount him. No. And that was something I was glad I kind of noticed because I was like, okay, so now I can apply that moving forward. And I also understand like with future Cassie, like clearly she's got part of her father's brains from what we've seen from the trailers for Quantumania. But then on top of this, so obviously like the Ant-Man suit and the idea of the Ant-Man is from the past, really. Hank did all of this during the Cold War, pretty much. And what I was kind of intrigued by was the whole premise of this movie was the reason Darren was so... Well, he's really messed up. Yeah. But, like, the reason <laughs> he's... Yeah. As the more I was watching this, I was like, holy crap. Like, wow. I think one of the things I don't know that I've realized throughout watching it in the past was that Darren doesn't become unhinged. 
he's like straight up unhinged from the start. Yeah. And just gets worse. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Well, that's why I was like, okay. Like, that's <laughs> just like the movie progressed. I was like, okay, this guy's got like some big mental problems here. <laughs> but the whole premise is, you know, Hank had taken him in and they were mentoring relationship and Hank wouldn't talk about or expose the fact that he used to be Ant-Man. Yeah. And that he also has this particle that he's using. And that that's what Darren pretty much put his entire life to doing was creating, recreating this because Hank wouldn't talk about it and share it. But what I thought was really interesting, and you don't actually hear it until Civil War, which is why I'm glad we're watching these together, is Black Widow released all those files, right? Yeah. And I was like, theoretically, wouldn't that information have been somewhere in those files? But then Zemo in Civil War says about how they're encrypted, which is, to my idea, the way the Russos were like, since no one else is talking about the fact that this happened... I'm just going to make it sound like these are really hard files to get into. I clocked that too in Civil War because I know you and I have been harping on that Mm -hmm. since Winter Soldier. We're like, where are the ramifications? Where are the ramifications? Where are the ramifications? So it makes sense that Ultron was able to get into them because what's encryption to Ultron? Like, literally, who cares? Yeah. It's like his left arm. Exactly. So, like, that totally makes a ton of sense that, like, that's why it didn't have larger ramifications. But I think is it relates specifically to Hank Pym, the other reason that that formula was not in those files is because he didn't share it with S.H.I.E.L.D. Remember that scene when he's with Peggy and, oh my gosh, what's Tony's dad's name? I'm blanking. Howard. Howard. And he's like, you're never going to get my formula because he found them trying to recreate it. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying about the particle. I mean, just the fact of Ant-Man and even the wasps, like... The wasps? (laughs) How do you... (laughs) That's a little weird to kind of have to say. Like, their mere existence. Yeah. Like, they were clearly being used. I mean, he talks about then Janet's death and every... Or quote-unquote death, since we obviously know where that leads us. But, I mean, the idea of the Ant-Man was a running, like, agent, essentially. So, like, that kind of knowledge... And, I mean, not to be this person, but Darren's not stupid... And he's got a team of people around him that aren't stupid. So I'm kind of shocked that he didn't work to, you know, work on that encryption and expose that information. Because he's also mentally ill to a lot of levels. So (laughs) I could see him doing it. Yeah, like he definitely has like a clear obsession that's like gone beyond the healthy level of like, I'm motivated to recreate this. Like he's clearly, you know, unstable. Yeah. But I think, I guess my counter to that is, I don't know that he didn't encrypt some of them because he has those images. Remember, somebody shows images of the little Ant-Man, and I wonder if those come from S.H.I.E.L.D. files. Yeah, I just, I'm curious because, like I said, this is, they're so secretive about it, and they're like, oh, we don't, like, it didn't happen. Like, it's just a myth. It's just, a, like, it never was a thing. And then I'm, like, sitting there, like, didn't all these files come out, though? And at the time, like I said, you can't, until we watch the next film, we don't get that little encryption comment. Yeah. But even then, like, Baron Zemo sat here and was like, I've got patience. I did it. Like, he was like, it's fine. Well, Baron Zemo is another one who is unhinged. Yes. So I guess it's like the battle of the unhinged villains in this particular replay episode. Yeah. They're extremely just, like, not okay. Yeah. But I also want to point out something that as we were going through the film, I noticed, and it kind of broke my heart, especially since seeing Endgame. Or no, yeah, Endgame. I always Infinity War and Endgame kind of bleed a little bit. Yeah. It's really sad because Scott's entire story is about not having enough time. And you even get it from the very start is that he doesn't have enough time with Cassie. 
and everything that's going on, he never gets to see her and he doesn't want to miss her growing up. And he's already missed some of it because he was in jail and everything else. And it's extremely upsetting when you see where we come in Endgame and you see him miss five whole years of her life, you know, and and they have such a great relationship. Also, young Cassie's like a literal icon, so I loved her. She is such a cutie patootie. She's so cute. And honestly, I, there's a certain age group with kid actors that just like doesn't work. And it starts around the age that young Cassie is and probably goes to right around like 15. (laughs) It's true. Like, they just, there's something about it that, like, suddenly their ability to act drops. I don't know what it is, but they, I just, I can't, sometimes it's just like this kid, just take the kid out of the scene. I I can't do it. But she did so well, and I absolutely adored her. She was so freaking cute. And she just had, like, some of the best one-liners sitting out there that I just, I loved it. But like I said, you know, her, the entire story for Scott is about you know, spending time with his daughter and being there for her to grow up. And from the get-go, they planted that seed of saying he's never going to have enough time with her. Well, and it's so interesting that you said that because, again, like I've been watching all that stuff about Ant-Man. It seems like the – and granted, take the trailers with a grain of salt. We've learned it over and over and over again. But it seems the way the trailers are framing the film right now that Scott actually makes a deal with Kang the Conqueror in order to get the time back that he lost in the period of the blip with Cassie. So it's interesting that you point that out because, again, like, here he is, you know, he misses this time in Ant-Man, obviously, and then he's, like, very focused on when he was in jail. Then he's very focused on getting time with her. That's his whole motivation for becoming Ant-Man. Then in Ant-Man and the Wasp, you know, he's had lost more time being in the raft and all of that being on house arrest. So, again, he lost more time with Cassie. And then, obviously, the blip. So that's five years. And I do want to talk about Cassie's age because I'm really confused by that. Oh, yeah. But then, you know, in Quantumania, clearly, like, it's gotten to the point where those three events have compounded to the point where he's willing to make a deal with Kang the Conqueror to get that time back with his daughter, which is, like, such a smart, you know, if you're talking about overarching character development, that's such a smart through line to use because all this time it seems like we've been really building up to that without really knowing it. Yeah, I agree. And I think it'll be interesting with that. And I like that we have that seed, like I said, here. And we're just slowly, to your point, it's compounding on top of each other and we're slowly building up to it. But yeah, so, you know, that was a big aspect of who Scott is. But let's bring into like the whole Ant-Man aspect. Because, I mean, Hank is literally like conspiring to get this specific man to steal his suit. Like, he literally does the whole thing. But I guess things I was catching that I didn't, that I was concerning myself with was that Hank specifically said that the Ant-Man suit had taken a toll on him over the years, so he could not wear it anymore. Yeah. And I was like, should we be getting concerned about Scott? I had the same thought. I was like, okay, cool. So you're looking at that. You wore it for probably 10 years because your daughter was about 10 when her mom died. So that's at least 10 years because you've probably been doing it her whole life. So that's that's cool. If you think about this movie came out in 2015. Now, Scott was in the quantum realm for five years. So time moves differently. However, he was still in the Ant-Man suit. So whether that's more time or less time, it still counts as time in the suit. 
And now we're approaching 2023 when, again, I was watching a featurette, even Paul Rudd himself is like, I've been playing this character for almost 10 years. It's been eight years. Yeah. So it's like, you know, and, and we're looking, we have to assume at this point that everything is taking place in 2023 in the MCU unless told otherwise. So that's the same amount of time. We, you know, to your point earlier in one of the earlier episodes, like we're caught up with the MCU now. So that's eight years. What is that doing to Scott? Well, that's why I was like, okay. Not to mention he wandered himself into the quantum realm in this film already. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so now he did that. Which I want to get into the quantum realm aspect in a second, but I just was like, okay. Clearly we're seeing things, and I mean, I know Hank even mentions the reason Darren so screwed up is because he's like, because he kept shrinking and expanding his molecules without any proper protection, and it's taking a toll on his brain. Like, it's literally screwing with his brain. And so I was like, okay, but you have a protective helmet. You have a suit that you theoretically built for all of this. So I'm like, what is happening? Like, I was like, is th- should I be getting concerned is really the question. I mean, if the toll is mental stability, I think the answer is yes, because Scott, in his right mind in 2015, yes, Scott makes some dumb choices, but I don't think he necessarily would have made a deal with Kang the Conqueror. And I just wonder if his continued use of the Ant-Man suit, like, is starting to wear on him and his ability to make decisions. And so, like, the other thing, too, you know, you mentioned, oh, well, Darren was doing it without the suit. I think the suit just really prolongs how long you can do it without the effects. But I don't think it completely negates the effects to zero. I think it's just like you can basically shrink more before you start to feel them, whereas Darren was probably only did it like a few times and then like scrambled his brain. So it's like, you know, the suit just it doesn't minimize the risk completely. It just like slows it down. So you're not quite so, you know, scrambled eggs up top. Well, and keep in mind, he's started to also enlarge himself. Yeah. To, like, great lengths. So, like, I was thinking about that, too, and after watching Civil War, and then obviously he does it in Endgame as well. And so I was like, okay, interesting. <laughs> like, I was like, what, what am I going to be seeing happen? But yeah, I mean, he obviously takes to being the Ant-Man. He does pretty well. And then he breaks into the Avengers compound. Okay, I'm so glad you brought that up because I did not realize in previous watchings that they didn't know it was the Avengers compound. They just thought it was some, like, abandoned Stark facility. I was like, oh my god, what a great gag. They had no idea that Tony secretly used one of his dad's old buildings to build an entire compound for the Avengers. Amazing. And I love how they just all were like, get out of there. Get out of there. Yeah. (laughs) This is not for you. Get out. But honestly, this is something else. And this is why I said I can't diss on four yet because I don't know. But this is something else I really miss about the first few phases is like random Avengers would just pop up in other people, like other films. So like here all of a sudden is Falcon just like, yo, I got a breach in the perimeter. And I was just like, this is so good, though. And it and. We see it directly translate into how, you know, Scott is brought in for Civil War. So I was like, this is perfect. And it was also a hilarious fight. It was. A hilarious, like, interaction between the two. But I I really enjoyed it. Yeah. There was a little bit of dubious CGI with the Falcon that I was like, ooh, okay, when, when are we getting to a place, like, you and I have talked about it a lot, I think, as we've gone through the phases. Like, the first few films, you kind of get it. You're like, okay, we're looking at 08, 09, 2011. You know, you kind of are like, 
all right, that makes sense. But as we start to get into 2015, 2016, and the CGI still isn't, like, as good as I remember, I'm like, but when did it, like, flip to get good? Like, you know, I just thought there were some scenes with the Falcon when he was, like, flying that I was like, he kind of looks like a clay man in the air and not so much like a man in the air. Oh, see, like, I didn't notice that. I noticed some things when we get to Civil War. There were a few during, like, certain fight scenes that I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, that doesn't look right. See, I didn't notice as many there. See, I noticed it in Civil War more than I, but to be fair, Civil War also had, like, so many people and different gimmicks in it. Yeah. That I kind of was like, okay, like, I see it a little bit, that's fine. But yeah, no, I didn't really notice it as much in Ant-Man. Yeah, I don't know if it's because coming off of Age of Ultron, like, that one iconic scene was, like, so, I don't want to say it's ruined in my head forever because the CGI is so bad, but, like, I definitely don't look at it and I'm like, pristine Avengers! I'm like, oh, pristine Avengers single shot in that one shot where they all look really bad. So I don't know if it's, like, I'm super sensitive to it now because it's, like, almost, like, taking off the rose-colored glasses at, like, films, and I'm like, wait a minute, these actually, like, weren't as solidly CGI'd as I thought they were. And, like, no shade on the VFX team, like, that's definitely, you know, just a technological limitation, so, like, I don't want to make it sound like we're trashing on them because I know they work really hard on all of these films, but it's just something that I think I'm, like, hypersensitive to now as we're going through. I'm like, oop. Little rough there. Well, and two, I think it's hard when you do see some, like, even some of the first few Ant-Mans are, like, pretty well done. Yeah. And they've aged pretty well. So, like, when you see those and then you see some of the later things that don't look quite as well done, you're like, how did that happen? Yeah. We could get into that and do a whole episode because there's a whole lot of drama happening around that. But oh, yeah. we will save that for another day. I think one of the things that, you know, I also noticed throughout the film, and I don't want to dive too deep into it because I think it will hurt my brain, but did you notice that Darren's whole thing, his shape is like a hex? No. Okay, well, well, when he's in that, like, what they call the Futures Lab, where he's first introducing the yellow jacket. But isn't a yellow jacket a type of bee? Yes. Honeycomb. I understand that. I just don't know if I'm reading too far into it. I think you're reading too much into it. I think I wouldn't have necessarily put it together if it wasn't for the quantum realm being so tied to, like, time, space, reality. Because in every other watching, yeah, great. Granted, that was, like, pre- WandaVision but like in every other watching I've just been like oh okay shape B I guess it was like kind of a subconscious thing but now with the hex and knowing about the quantum realm I'm kind of like wait a minute what's going on you know yeah see I was just like he's a B <laughs> okay <laughs> so like bees and honeys and honeycombs so I was like that felt like that just naturally played together very well I did not like think too much into it Actually, what I thought a lot into, which I we talked a little bit about at the very beginning, but we didn't really get into the full thing, was I don't remember for a second the fact that there was like a Hydra after S.H.I.E.L.D. and the whole Winter Soldier thing happened. I did not remember that at all. Yeah, no, I have that in my notes too. But now that I like look back at it retroactively, like it makes sense because that's, if you think about Age of Ultron, that's what 
the whole point was they were going after remaining Hydra bases. Right. So, like, it's good that we're watching these in such, you know, kind of rapid succession because, to your point, neither one of us is, like, big rewatchers of many of these films. Just because I don't like to rewatch in general, I just would rather watch new stuff. But also, just, like, if I'm gonna rewatch, it's very rare for me to, like, go through and watch them all so quickly within such a tight span to the point where I can put together dots from a movie I just watched a week and a half ago to the movie I'm watching now. And so, like, I'm so glad we've been able to do this because now I can see that thread coming through and I'm like, oh, that totally makes sense. Like, that's what they were doing. This must have just been a sell that they hadn't gotten to yet. And now here we are seeing them, you know, trying to buy this yellow jacket tech. So that was just a fun little thing where I'm like, oh, I'm seeing this now versus, like, kind of letting it go perhaps in the past because Age of Ultron wasn't so fresh in my mind. Yeah, I mean, and I definitely get it because, like, to your point, that was the premise of what they were doing in most of Age of Ultron, but I guess, like, I had several thoughts here. I was like, so obviously, just because S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra went down in D.C. does not mean it went down across the world. I understood that. That was the Winter Soldier to the Ultron connection. Now they're taking out all these Ultron, or (laughs) all these Hydra bases. Like, okay, I'm following. We're on the same thread. But I guess I was sitting there and I was like, so I feel like they, and I could be wrong, I feel like they pretty passionately said that they pretty much had all of them, if not, like, they did in Age of Ultron, like, they were on one of the last ones, because they were, the point, too, was they weren't just fully going to destroy Hydra, they were mainly looking for the Scepter. Right. They were trying to figure out which one had the Scepter. So I guess my thought process is, obviously, we see the end of Age of Ultron, you know, Thor goes up into the world, Hulk. Or space. Hulk disappears. Like, the Avengers do their crap. So I guess I'm like, so there's still Hydra people out there. Cool. We see that thread come into this film, which I didn't remember. But then I'm like, that to me is like, okay, but then there's still Hydra people out there. Even past this film is what my brain is suddenly, like, landing on. Well, right. But then you see that play out in Civil War. Think about what's happening in Lagos. They're going after Crossbones, a former Hydra agent. So, like, yes, they're, you know, they didn't finish the job necessarily, quote-unquote, as the original six, but Steve and Natasha and the crew that they're now training, they are still going after, you know, people tied to that whole thing, obviously, in Rumlow. So I think that's just kind of how that thread almost comes to an end with Hydra, you know? Yes, but I guess my point is just, like, while I see theoretically how they do it, my brain is like, they still don't know if they got it all or got all of them. My point mainly is, like, technically, I could argue that there are Hydra agents still out there to this day. Oh, I'm sure there are. And that is what I didn't think about for a second until I saw that, like, this film, and I they made that comment about them being Hydra. I immediately was like, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hold on, Hydra, because... Two, I mean, look at it. Age of Ultron, S.H.I.E.L.D. supposedly fell. Well, here's Fury showing up, who's also supposed to be dead, showing up in one of the helicarriers. And Steve even makes the comment to Pietro, he's like, this is what S.H.I.E.L.D.'s supposed to be. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well... And then I feel like we never get anything more. Like, we're still told that both of them technically exist, and then they're just like, anyway, Thanos is more of a problem. Like, we're never going to talk about this again. (laughs) Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how Secret Invasion plays out in that way, because I think that's one natural way to kind of really bring that thread 
back up and like be like, okay, cool. You thought maybe they were done. This is kind of the ramification within the spy realm of how they're still trying to get these people out of here. And then on top of that, they're kind of adding in, you know, the added layer of the scrolls. I think if I had to, you know, put money on it, that's where I would see that thread be picked back up more than kind of any other show or movie that it's slated for the next few years. Yeah, I agree. But beyond that, I only have one other thing I want to hit on. And it's the fact that Scott goes into the quantum realm and doesn't remember anything. Yeah. And the reason I want to pick up on that specifically is, are we going to watch an entire film in which they're going to pop back out of the quantum realm and not remember anything that happens or any of the ramifications that happened while they were there? I don't think that's going to play out that way. And here's why. Scott was only in the quantum realm for a few minutes, was kind of shook that he did it, was, you know, he was kind of, like, freaking out a little bit. Whereas Janet, when she comes out after spending, what, 30 years, 25 years in the quantum realm, she remembers. Like, you see it even in the Quantumania trailer. She clearly knows what she's doing. Like, she remembers being in there. She talks about Kang and how dangerous he is. So she clearly has memories from her time there. You know, when Scott goes in, even for those five years during the blip, like, he clearly, like, remembers his time, you know? Like, he knows enough, even going through to, for Ghost at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp, like, he knows enough to go back and know what to get and travel around. I think it's just this first time he was in such shock that he did it and was so afraid that he almost, like, blacked out. Whereas, like, if you're going in kind of, like, eyes wide open, you're familiar with it, you're going to be able to kind of remember. And on top of that, now you have to remember Scott spent five years there. So, like, he has so much more of a sense of, like, what's where, and he's not a complete novice when it comes to the quantum realm because he spent so much time there. So I think we're going to – it's going to have ramifications. I think if Scott survives, which is a question that a lot of people are asking in Quantumania – I think he's going to remember it, and whoever comes out, obviously we know Cassie's going to survive. She's going to be a young Avenger. I don't remember what her moniker is, to be honest. It's obviously some sort of insect, but I can't think of it at the moment. You know, she's going to remember this experience, and we will probably, regardless of whether or not her father survives, we will see that referenced for her, I would imagine, in whatever young Avengers property we get coming down the road. Yeah, I guess I just... There's a part of me that was thinking, if we didn't, like, if they come out and they don't remember, like, I'm like, that could really be screwy. Yeah. Because one, that would screw with our brains completely. We will have just watched an entire film that while it did happen and we will know it happened, the characters themselves will not have. They will be sitting there and not know what, what they were doing. But beyond that, it would be really interesting and a very unique way to bring in Kang because as of right now Kang's obviously in the quantum realm right Uh, obviously this is the movie that's gonna really bring him up to the you know world of us I don't really know the depths of how this works (laughs) but so I'm thinking I'm like sitting there and I'm like okay imagine if they don't remember anything with Kang and they bring him back through with them I'm like imagine that like that would be so screwy and we would be sitting here like this guy's a bad guy And they would have no clue. They would have no idea what took place in the quantum realm, who he is, and he's here to just, like, wreak havoc. Yeah. You're right. It would be an interesting plot line, you know, for him to be able to come in in that way and not really necessarily be on everyone's radar as, like, 
oh, crap, you got to watch this guy. Like, he could almost play a double agent role. He could, you know, there's a lot of possibilities. Exactly. I just, that would be really trippy. I don't, I don't know that they're going to do it that way. I think it could be an interesting way to do it, though. If I had to guess, I would say the characters are going to remember it because I think otherwise, like, I don't, you're almost setting it back so far in terms of the progression towards Kang Dynasty. You know, knowing that Kang Dynasty is 2024, 2025, 2025. I think it's 25. I think both of them are 2025. That's what I thought. So knowing that, you know, you have 18 months, you have a lot of ground to cover. In or 26. No, I think they're 25. But Thunderbolts isn't until the end of 2024. Yeah, and then it was like, it was July, December. But that's the end of phase five. I don't know. I don't either. I'd have to, I can't remember the... I just remember seeing the timeline and being like, dang, I really gotta wait till like a really long time to see Thunderbolts. Yeah, I don't, I have to re-familiarize myself with the the slate, which is always changing anyway. So I feel like every time I like memorize dates, I'm like, great. And then they're like, by the way, we're pushing all these stuff, like all these movies back. But then they're like, here's a whole new show that we've decided to put in. And I'm like, <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day and I won't we won't spend a ton of time on this but like we have things that we know are coming that aren't even slated like where are the young avengers like they're not on the slate or the fantastic four well they come out right before kang dynasty but still well right i'm just mean like young avengers isn't on there at all you know so it's like we know it's coming you're setting up all the characters the chess pieces are in place like you have almost the entire roster so just tell me already, like, it's not a surprise. You're not unveiling something that nobody knows is coming. Like, you know, even what's one of the other things that's the Nova that's, you know, rumor. Now, I know that's a rumor, but like, that's not slated. Like, there's so many things that like. Yeah, but is that a rumor? Because I thought they genuinely like announced that like a while back. No, I thought it was a rumor. I didn't remember it being confirmed. I don't know. I don't know. There were so many that were and then they took them away and then they like. There were rumors, and I, and I was just like, honestly, I, unless there's a release date at this point, I don't trust it. Which is interesting, because we actually don't have release dates for any of the shows in 2023. I know. I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, are they just going to give us, you know, three weeks notice that Secret Invasion is coming? Because that's the first one on the slate. They said spring. It's now the end of January as we're recording this, and I'm looking at the calendar going, all right, to me, spring starts in March, so you've got about... Four and a half weeks, if that, for this to, you know, start to ramp up. So what is, what is happening? You know, I have very many questions about the future of the slate, but I don't want to get too deep off the rails here because this is a replay episode. So we're, we're looking backwards. I just have two quick things I want to talk about. One, on the trolley, when he is first riding Antony, there's a man reading a newspaper, and the headline of the newspaper, I thought this was so interesting, coming in the way that Ant-Man is set between Age of Ultron and Civil War. The headline of the newspaper said, Whose Fault is Sokovia? And I was like, ooh, that's such a good little, like, way to, like, continue that conversation so that when this blows up in everyone's face in the next movie, like, you're like, oh, these conversations were happening, you know, in the background. Whereas Scott's, like, you know, almost, like, one level removed from what's happening in, like, the core Avengers group. Like, it's still a nice way for them to recognize, like, this really, really big thing is about to happen as a ramification of the last big team-up movie that you just watched. Yeah, I don't know if I noticed that. There's a part of me that thinks I did, but I didn't really, like, pin it out from anything but honestly 
and we'll get into it, I know, with the little Civil War, which is coming very quickly, but I honestly sit here and I'm like, Tony. <laughs> I'm like, literally Tony. Like, I don't know how else to put it that it was Tony's fault. Like, I... But we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing, I just figured out why Cassie's age now makes sense. Because the whole movie, I was like, age. What? Like, it doesn't make sense. She's like, what, seven in this movie? So I figured it out. This is 2015. Infinity War happens in 2018. So that's three more years. So then she's 10 by the time that Infinity War happens. Give it five more years to 2023. She's 15. That makes sense for where she is. It's just because we don't see her. Yeah. I just was like looking at it and I thought I was like, she's like five. But then I was like, okay, she's actually probably seven or eight. And like now that makes sense. But yeah, the whole movie, it was bothering me because like if there's anything that like drives me insane, it's like when years and things don't match up, like that whole little kerfuffle they had with the first Spider-Man and Homecoming where they were like blah 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 years later and everyone was like but wait math like that's the part where I was like like that's the stuff that drives me insane so I'm glad in my head that I figured out this Cassie Lang situation because otherwise it would have just like sat there and rankled me forever yeah I just I think the biggest thing like I said was because we don't really see her like we, obviously we see her in Ant-Man too but honestly that's like pretty much here already like that that film happens very closely to the other one because I mean we're getting very close to Infinity War I know <laughs> whether or not people realize that we are reaching very closely to these areas so I think like because we don't really see her past Ant-Man 2 and what we know happens there, like, it's kind of weird. Like, we're just like, okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and she looks the same. Even though she is older, she looks the same, and we don't really think much about the time passing in the process. Yeah, totally. All right. I am done with Ant-Man. I have said my piece. Let's jump into Civil War, because we know there's going to be some heated debate. There's going to be some passion. And also, just like something that I was thinking a lot while I was watching this film, I was almost dreading it because so much bad happens in this film. So many awful things happen to these characters. It's also, you know, we talked a lot about Age of Ultron being a major turning point, you know, kind of in the progression towards Infinity War and Endgame and all that stuff. But I think if you had to pick one film that really sets us on that trajectory, it's Civil War. You know, it's really that moment where you're saying now, like, things are serious, we're gonna get less jokes, it's gonna be less fun, it's gonna be moving into the ultimate climax of this 10-year journey we've all been on, and I think just the tone of this film, the weight, the gravity of this film really displays that, and it, it makes it really almost difficult to watch, not because it's a bad film, but because you think about what happens to these characters, you think about what the ramifications of this film mean for the wider MCU down the road, and I just, like, sat there, one, crying the whole time, because every time T'Challa came on, I was a wreck, and two, just sitting there with a pit in my stomach thinking about everything that's gonna happen after, because this is really the linchpin moment. So I had very different reaction watching <laughs> Civil War. For one, I don't think I got like that much emotion as far as like sadness and things. In fact, I had two overwhelming emotions the entire time. Like almost despair because every time anything ha happened to Wanda or she was disgusted in this film, I literally was like, I want to kill somebody. Like I feel <laughs> so bad for her. Like... Uh, from the get-go of this film, I'm like, 
She didn't mean to do what happened. Like, she was trying to save all... Like, what did you do? Let the bomb go off there and kill all those people? Like, I was like, she was just trying to save people. Like, and just the entire film... Oh, and then on top of that, my other emotion, which I'm going to do a little, like, announcement. I'm going to apologize now to all the Tony Stark fans because I cannot stand this man starting in this film especially. This is the film that I, like, puts the nail in the coffin of my hatred towards Tony Stark because of... One, how he treats Wanda. That's a big thing for me. And just how he reacts in this film in general. It's in this film that I'm like, you need therapy. Get help. Instead of doing barf, maybe go to a licensed therapist. Yeah, because I was like, every reaction you had was like way up here and you needed to bring it way down here. With the exception, I will say like, we'll talk about the ending. We'll move through the film, obviously, as well as we can chronologically. But like, with the exception, I can understand part of the reaction you had at the end, but that doesn't mean that I understand all of it. But I was like, the rest of your reactions throughout the entire film, you are an overgrown toddler, is what it screamed at me. I was like, you do not know how to regulate your emotions at all, and you are part of the problem here. But you don't see that. And that really annoys me. The whole film. So I just ended up being more more and more angry. I was just like, oh my god, it's all your fault, Tony. Literally, Ultron was your fault anyway. Like, you caused this, and now you're a martyr? I was not happy. Yeah, no, I understand. I think, too, one of the interesting things, and I know I'm sure we'll have a whole discussion about the Sokovia Accords, who's right. It was definitely a topic of a newsletter in the past, so I think we've been pretty clear about where we stand. But I want to admit something that I'm not proud of. When I first watched this film as a person who'd only ever seen like one or two Avengers film previously, I was thinking that Tony was right. And here's why. Because if you objectively take a step back and you look at this film without your preconceived sides being chosen and, you know, we're clearly Team Cap on this podcast. But if you take a step outside of that and you don't go in saying I'm Team Cap and Cap is right... This film sets up Tony to be right. The way that the Sokovia Accords are framed as the idea of, okay, we've made some serious mistakes. And I do take some issue with some of the examples that General Ross gave, like New York. I was like, what were they supposed to do? Just let the aliens invade? I'm actually really glad you said that because I quite literally said, what did they want the Avengers to do? Let the aliens invade. Let Hydra hold a gun to everyone's head and kill whoever they want. Like, those were my exact words. Yeah, so that immediately takes off the board Avengers and Captain America Civil War because they were reacting to threats that were coming from either people or the outside. Well, and even it takes off Winter Soldier. Like, once again... Oh, that's what I meant. Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, but, like, what do they want them to do? You know? Like... Yeah. Now, Age of Ultron, that one's bad. That one's on Tony. That was fully on Tony. Yeah, like, he created it. He bullied Bruce into it. Like, that's a Tony problem. So I understand using that as an example, because that is an example of, like, hubris and all of that stuff. But even, like, Lagos, what they, you know, were using kind of as, like, the straw that broke the camel's back. To your earlier point from just a few minutes ago, what was Wanda supposed to do? Let everyone in that market die because they were within, you know, the firing range or the the blast radius range of that bomb vest? Or let Crossbones take an infectious disease that he could weaponize? Yeah, I mean, like, it's awful because unfortunately people died, but like, she was doing the right thing and, you know, had not grasped her powers yet fully enough to be able to handle it. Okay, let's be honest. 
Westview Wanda could have done that with a hand tied behind her back, but she wasn't there yet. Yeah. So it's like, she's a human too. Like, she was doing her best and she made a mistake. So if three quarters of your examples are just crap, like... Like, you needed the Avengers for all of those. Yeah. You literally needed them. But... I will say, like, if you're looking at it outside of that, if you're looking at it objectively, I do understand the argument of saying, well, maybe we need some oversight. Like, maybe we've made some mistakes and we need to kind of rein ourselves in. I do understand that argument. I think, you know, as someone who's like kind of a rule follower, like that makes sense to kind of set themselves guardrails. I think when you did the newsletter, you did a really good job of laying out like, yeah, like that's how it's laid out in the film. It's just like, guardrails for them but like this is what it actually means yeah and like these are the things that kind of go unsaid in the sokovia accords that actually make them incredibly wrong and a a very very bad thing for the avengers exactly and i think and i really like your point of like when you go into this film and you're not picking a side yet and i will say like when I initially went into this film, I've always been team cap about it, but I never went into this film the very first time because I was still a newbie in this world. I'd only came into it watching Winter Soldier. At the time, I, I, even being a fan, I wasn't going to see, like, Ant-Man. I don't remember seeing Ant-Man in the theaters. I know I saw both Guardians, but that's also because at that age, I was like, guys, everybody sees a movie on Friday night. Let's all go see a movie. <laughs> and so I, I, like, frequented all of the uh, movie theaters around here. So I saw probably every film that came out around 2014 to 2016. But I have to say, like, I went into this film open-minded because I, especially at the beginning, because obviously I loved Bucky, but he wasn't in the beginning. He wasn't a factor in the beginning. And I genuinely was like, I think what stuck with me was when Kat was saying, you sign this and we don't have a right to choose where we go. Yeah. And if we need to go somewhere and they're not sending us, that's on our hands. And if they send us somewhere we don't believe we need to go, that's also on our hands. We are now responsible for everything that happens because other people are telling us to do it. And so I think that's what really had stuck with me from the very get-go because I was like, he's right. And then you bring up, you know, I took a very objective point of view when I was writing, I believe it was like the September newsletter. And the topic was who was right in Civil War. And you break this debate down into two different parts. The first being the Accords and truly... As you were saying, when you look at the Accords, when you look up what they actually contain, what the clauses are, everything, it makes it impossible for the Avengers to properly do their job. And it just brings into the fact that governments around the world have no clue what they're doing. You could have India saying that they need the Avengers for some reason, and they're now trying to all vote about it. Well, by the time that happens... It's over and people have died. And what are you going to do when Thanos attacks? What do you do then? Because guess what? That's not just like a country problem. That's a worldwide global issue. Universal even. (laughs) Well, yeah, but uh, you know, obviously like that's a different factor. But like, as far as the governments are concerned, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. Like, and so when you really break down these accords and, and I, you know, I definitely, I tell everybody, go look at them, read what's in them, understand how that would apply to the Avengers if they genuinely all signed it. You sit there and you're like, they couldn't have signed it. They could not have signed it. No, you're right. And I think, too, the thing that's so interesting is the way that the sides break out. You have Tony, who basically has told governments to shove it his, you know, ever since Iron Man. And then you have Cap, 
the government product who up until Winter Soldier was just doing his job as a good soldier. So it's so interesting the way that these broke out because they're doing the opposite of the way that they both came into the MCU, basically flipping sides and flipping perspectives. Also to your point, and I just want to point this out, the fact that Tony's all gung-ho on these drives me insane because it's so hypocritical considering that the one valid example of the Avengers overreaching is him and his ego and the rest of them having to clean it up yeah and it's just it's absolutely infuriating well and that's why i said like pretty much from the get-go of this film this tony infuriates me beyond anything because all of a sudden he wants to be the good guy and wants to be oh well we killed this kid we did that yeah i'm sorry is there a mouse in your pocket because last I checked, you created Ultron and everything he did was your fault. Yeah. Like, literally your fault. So that frustrated me from the get-go. But I also have to say, because I don't want to forget this. This is so unrelated, but I'm just <laughs> going to put this in here because we're moving through this part of the film. When he's at MIT, there's two things I want to point out. One related to this, one not. Let's start with the not. Now that I've watched Community... I realized the Rooster Brothers were just plopping their characters into their films because the the bald guy that he talks to when he leaves the stage, he's like the president of the school or whatever. Yeah. He's the dean from Community. And he's hilarious. But I never... I remember watching Community when I first started watching it, and I was like, he seems so familiar, but I don't know why. You know what else I think he's from? Was he in, like, Disney? Phil of the Future. Okay. I just hit me. I was like, no, because I know that guy too, but I've never watched Community. So I was like, why do I know him? I think he's, like, the principal or the teacher or something in Phil of the Future. Well, he's the dean in Community. And as soon as he popped up again, I was like... Dean Pelton, what are you doing? <laughs> but then I realized I was like, well, as I said, you know, in the Winter Soldier when they had Abed in it, I was like, oh, the Rooster Brothers really are out here because they were like producers or directors on that show. And they were like, hey, I got a, a little small role for you in a Marvel film. Want to <laughs> hop in? And that's what they were doing. But my other more serious related to this film, you know, when Tony's doing his little mind experiment, his mom explicitly says, you know what's about to happen. Everything's about to change. And she's like very ominous. And so I sit there and I'm like, no, I don't, you know, Miss Stark, what is going to happen? Like, what are you referring to? Because I was like, are you referring to the fact that you know something about the future as far as your fate? Or like, what are we referring to? Because I was like, this is interesting. I don't remember picking up on this before. Well, I think you might be reading a little too far into that. And here's why. Because at a certain point, he breaks down from what actually happened into like what he wish happened, right? And I think that was later. So like that was after that point. Because remember, he says, this is what I wish happened when he said, I love you, dad. Like all of that. He never said that to his father. So like... I think he wished that in some way his mother had intervened and been like, like, obviously she wouldn't have been able to say, like, you know what's going to happen. But in his heart, that's how it would have played out where his mother intervened and was like, say something to your dad because you're going to live with this for the rest of your life. Like, that's where it broke down from, like, the memory to what he called the therapy portion where he was living it in a way, changing the memory almost to what he wished would have happened versus how it actually shook out. That's fair. I guess, like, I didn't really see where... I Like, I understood, like, when he said, you know, love you, dad, or whatever. I understood that was the breakout point, but I didn't really re think it happened earlier, which is why I was like, no, what is going to happen? <laughs> like, I was like, okay. But 
Either way, I, you know, that entire thing, just, like, where that storyline goes, we'll get there, obviously. Well, even, too, like, all I kept thinking about was the retcon to add Mysterio in later. I kept thinking about who was backstage. That was interesting. I also, you mentioned the mom who talked about her son. That actress, I can't remember her name at the moment, she's actually a main villain in Luke Cage for two seasons. Interesting. So I I don't want to go on this tangent because we have a lot to talk about just in this film alone, but I will say this. There are actors and actresses that are in The Defenders that should they make those, you know, canonized within 616 – because that's obviously still up in the air, it will be difficult because the her cousin, who's the main villain of season one, she's kind of like growing into her villainism in season one and then is the main villain of season two. Her cousin is the guy who is Maharshala Ali, who's going to play Blade. So I'm like, so he played Cottonmouth, a gangster, essentially. Now he's about to go play Blade. His cousin, Mariah, played, or, well, that actress played Mariah, and she's a villain, and now he or she is as a grieving mother, and it's like, you can't deny the fact that they're the same actors. So, like, that's just, like, not super important, but I had to point it out because I'm, like, in the middle of season two of Luke Cage right now, so I'm, like, she's on my screen every night, and I was like, wait a minute, that's Mariah. Yeah, I wouldn't know because I didn't watch any of those, but, like, I'm sure, too. I mean, especially her role is so minor. Yeah, I mean, you can get around that for sure. Yeah, I mean, is it a mega implication? Of course, but, like, her actual role is so tiny and just, like, two minutes on the screen. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, when we're talking about that, that is the catalyst of bringing up the Accords. And I have a couple things I gotta say because General Ross makes me want to gouge my eyeball out. I know. And within my heart, I truly mean rest in peace to the actor whose name is escaping me at the moment. William Hurt. It is not his fault. You know what? It's a testament to his acting that I hate his character so much. Yeah, because he really made me, like, extremely angry in this film. I mean, he makes me angry in every film. Look at him even in the first Hulk, or the only Hulk. But, you know, like, first off, it's the fact that he can't seem to stop referring to a lot of the Avengers almost as objects, and that frustrates me he does it to thor and hulk and he explicitly is like well if i like misplaced twenty thousand missiles or whatever i'd have my butt handed to me i'm sorry these are like human beings yeah Yeah. and i was like first off thor's a god from another world i don't think he needs to answer to you he can go wherever he wants yeah do you want to tussle with the god who has the power of lightning because i personally do not (laughs) well I, i was like what? Like, you would explain your puny little Sokovia accords to him and he'd be like, this is ridiculous. Because he just does the right thing. I think he would laugh and be like, you mid-guardians and your and your stupid laws. Yeah, because he'd <laughs> literally just be like, um, I'm just gonna go do what I gotta do. Like, even the first Avengers, he, like, comes down, steals his brother, and yeets. He's like, <laughs> time to go. Like, so I just, I was like, okay. And then, you know, even with Hulk, and granted, I understand General Ross has a very different relationship with Hulk. It's very personal. Yeah. But I just sat there and I was like, dude, I'm going to reiterate, this is a person. He has a free will and can do what he wants. Yeah. And then, you know, it's almost like his language goes to Tony because then Tony refers to Wanda as a weapon of mass destruction. Yeah. And I was like, "Uh, okay. <laughs> like I explicitly have written in my notes that I wish I wish Tony lived long enough to see Wanda become the Scarlet Witch because I would have <laughs> loved to just see her body him. Like I know 
like when she throws the cars at him later in this film, I was like, that she's been waiting since she was ten to do that to you. I like know, that I know. was personal. She had to play nice all this time, and now she's like, you're on the opposite side of that line. Let's go, sir. Let's go. Yeah, I literally was like, I oh, I wish that he would have seen her become the Scarlet Witch. I was like, oh, I mm. she would have crushed you in your little aluminum can. Yeah, like absolutely would have crushed him. Literally, like what she did to the Illuminati would have been so easy with Tony because all she had to do was close her fist and be like, oop, every bone in his body is broken. Yeah, I literally, he just, but that's what I mean, you know, General Ross did the same thing. They were not people, they were weapons to him, and I was like, that's the other problem with this. You are not asking, you're asking them as people to sign these accords, but you see them as weapons. If you want them to invade somewhere, they will not have the ability. And that's, that's, like I said, the other side of this coin, I think, is when you sign away that right to choose, which is what Steve was talking about, you're in the hands of whoever, you know, now governs you. Well, yeah, and it's it's their will, their mission, and their mission may not be the saving people. Exactly. Whereas the Avengers, like, that's their whole point. Their whole thing is minimize the damage, save the civilians. Like, even when you look at Sokovia, that was their point. They were trying to get the people out. Yeah. You know, trying to save as many people as they can. Well, that's not necessarily the objective of every government, right? Exactly. So if somehow enough governments get together and they're like, well, we want to invade this one country or let's say even, you know, hypothetical, this is a good what if episode. Let's say, you know, everybody signs the accords, then King T'Challa dies like he does in the beginning of Wakanda Forever, still traumatized. You know, say that happens and Wakanda becomes a focal point, right? You saw the French try to invade. Imagine that enough countries get together and go, ooh, let's send in the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, that could happen under the Accords. And I'll just argue back just slightly to say, on the other end of this, that's to say enough governments would ever agree. I mean, yeah. At one time to send them somewhere. They could literally be having an entire invasion going on and it'll take six months before they decide that the Avengers need to actually be there. Yeah. And in the meantime, like, the whole country, the whole city, the whole globe is done. It's done for. Well, and I think that's a lot of Steve's point as well is, because I think at one point he says something along the lines of, he's like, this isn't about, you know, taking responsibility and reeling ourselves in. It's losing control. Yeah. He was like, what do we do if we don't have, have the, like, ability to control where we go and you know i think it's black widow who says yeah but i'd rather have one hand on the wheel than none at all i thought she made a compelling argument there that's where i was like oh okay i see it yeah but i also was like would you would you actually you think because you're choosing to sign this that's giving you one hand on the wheel but that still gives you no control when they want to send you somewhere yeah and it's also interesting that you know just from a character standpoint that natasha would agree to it considering you know, what she's been a part of in the past, you know, and like, be, she was controlled. Like, why she would sign up for that level of control again is kind of surprising, especially when you've gone and seen Black Widow now. Which is like right after this now oh, on God. the slate, technically. Yeah. Just as a programming note all, we will skip that because we have an episode for it previously, so you won't see it as part of the replay, but... Technically, you're right, and I forget about that all the time. Yeah, because as we're going through this, Disney Plus starts to recommend them in the order. Yeah. So that it's recommending Black Widow next, and I was like, uh. (laughs) But, no, I think I can argue for her both ways, and it's ironic because she does kind of go both ways in this film. 
Um, which is another reason that I hate Tony when he makes the can't quite shake the double agent thing. I was like, what is wrong with you? Especially now seeing her background and what she had to do to become a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, the way that haunted her her entire life. I literally wrote that in my notes. I was like, that hits so differently now and it freaking hurts tony so back off well i was like what like genuinely like just what is wrong with you like who says that to somebody especially like her backgrounds i'm not saying they know everything about everything i'm not at all but it's not a lot of it's not a secret especially to tony he's read through her file he knows yeah but I think part of it is Natasha's always trying to do the right thing now that she's gone straight. That's the whole thing she's talking about in, you know, The Winter Soldier. She's like, I thought I was on the right side. Yeah. And now I think I don't know if I ever was. And so I think she just saw this as a way of if the governments are and the UN, everybody has control over us. They can't be mad at things that happen. They're the ones who are going to tell us what has to happen. And so they are no longer, we're not going to be put to blame when things don't go right. Yeah. And, you know, or we go somewhere and they're not happy that we did what we did. They have, now somebody else takes that responsibility. And that means that I have to be on the right side, right? Like that means I have to be doing the right thing if somebody else is going to help us know what's important to go to and what's not. Yeah. So, like, I could see her argument of why she ends up on that side. But, I mean, Civil War is complex. It's a complex film because it's got a lot of layers. Well, yeah, and there's really two plots running through it, and that's what kept... Almost three. Yeah. Well, because you have the actual, like, Accords. Zemo. And then, and Bucky. you know, December. Yeah, the mission report. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And I, I kept thinking about that, too, during the film, because, you know, when Steve writes his letter to Tony at the end, and he's talking about, you know, how sorry he is that he hid the whole Bucky thing from him and all that and then he brings up the accords and i was like dang that was part of this film too it's a layered film yeah like even their fight is a multi-dimensional multi-elemental fight it's not just we're fighting about this one thing that maybe now we're starting to agree on it's also by the way he killed your parents and like i get that but like also like there's just a lot there's a lot going on well and the and honestly by the time they have that fight in the airport steve is not fighting about the accords no but tony is yeah and that's what also, I think that's what really frustrates me throughout the film, too, is then Tony wants to be like, I was wrong. Yeah. Sorry. And I was like, sorry? But you signed. But you signed. And that is legally, but you can't take that back. Well, not even just about that. Just about the whole Zemo thing. He was like, oh, my bad. Yeah. I get what you were trying to do now. I was like, you made him the enemy of the state, of the entire nation, essentially, because he was trying to protect Bucky, because Bucky, at the end of the day, was not actually the person who did it. Yeah. And they were putting all these pieces together, and you were just like, nope, General Ross said this, so now I have to follow that because I signed. Which you made the choice to do. Which he made the choice to do. Exactly. So, but, like I said, it's got layers, and that's why, too, when he makes the double agent comment towards Nat, I was like... But she let them go because she understood this was no longer about the Accords for Steve. Yeah. She understood the fight was not about that at all and that they needed to go because she understood what the other conflict truly was. So I was like, it's not like she just suddenly was like, oh, I don't want to be like, I don't want the Accords like all. No, 
that fight was not for Steve about the Accords at all. For Tony, it was. Yeah. And so I just was like, okay. But I don't want to gloss over my Bucky boy because I love watching him fight. He took out all those special forces and I literally was like, this is him restraining himself. I know. This is him literally pulling his punches, which is why I hate when people are like, especially when he like goes to punch Spider-Man, he catches his fist and like peels away and everyone's like, Spider-Man's so strong. He's stronger than Bucky. And I was like, my guy is, like, literally not trying to kill him. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's strong. Yeah, he recognizes he's super young. And, yes, Spider-Man is, like, aggressively strong. Yes, and, like, 100%. You know, this is not a Spider-Man versus Winter Soldier fight. Right. Because we've been very vocal about the fact that, like, growing up, Spidey was our guy. So there is no Spidey hate over here. There's no, just none at all. Love. But to your point, like, yes, you know, Spider-Man can probably match him in a way that most regular people can't because in some ways he's his own form of super soldier. But yes, he was pulling his punches because he recognized, oh crap, this is a freaking kid. I'm not going to kill this kid. He also wasn't trying to kill any of the other Avengers. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like on top of that, I sit here and I'm like, did we not just watch him when he was under the Winter Soldier conditioning? Literally body the entirety pretty much of the Avengers team. Yeah. I mean, he shot Tony in the head. If he would not have blocked that with a... Because he happened to have a singular glove of Iron Man on him. And the glasses. He shot him in the glasses. Otherwise, Tony's head would have been blown off. Yeah. So, like, I don't mean to be that person, but, like, even Black Widow, he literally... I mean, Bucky was, like, choking the crap out of everybody in this film. I'm pretty sure, like, four different people got choked by him, including Mrs. Stark. <laughs> but I literally, like... He chokes the crap out of Natasha. When he fir- <laughs> when Black Panther jumps on him at one point, you literally hear him go, <laughs> as he literally chokes him so hard. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like, he genuinely, under his conditioning, because he has no empathy or no reason to pull back, he is unstoppable. And we see that. I mean, the only person who puts up a genuine fight with him. I mean, Steve doesn't. He drops him down an elevator shaft. Yeah. Like, he literally drops him down the entire shaft. The only person who puts up a genuine fight with him is Black Panther, is T'Challa. Yeah. And even then, then he plays Ghost and disappears. Like, he, his ability to just sneak around and be, like, almost not even there is insane. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you brought up T'Challa, too, because, as I mentioned, I cried every time he was on the screen because we all know why. But, you know, it's interesting because even just watching that character, one, when he and Steve and Bucky are all fighting, I just kept writing to my, or I wrote to myself, ooh, super soldier fight. Like, in that whole chase scene when they're under the bridge, I was like, watch them, like, all try to, like, outdo one another. And then Steve's like, screw this, let me get in the car. And I'm just, like, dying. Well, and something I didn't even think about before, but I was watching for this time around, was, yes, they are all essentially super soldiers. And you actually see that play out in the car fight especially. Yeah. Or, like, no, I guess the cars are not fighting. In the fight scene where they're all, like, under the bridge and the cars are all there. Because they're running faster than most of the cars. Yeah. That's, I was like, let me look for this. Because they all started running at the on the side of that one building. And I was like, okay, well, you can't really tell. Yeah. Like, at the moment that they're running faster than everybody else. But I was like, wait a second. And as I was watching the cars, I was like, yeah, they're literally running faster than all of the cars right now. So I was like, this is impeccable. It was, it was so good. I love their fight scenes. I think, too, the other reason that I got really emotional when it came to T'Challa is like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take myself back to 2016 really quick. 
his character drove me insane. I was like, who is this guy coming in, trying to, like, kill Bucky? Like, that's so annoying. But now, knowing how much I love the character, all I could think about was how freaking cool he is the whole time. I was like, this guy has so much swag. He's so cool. He just rolls up in his private jet. He's, like, kicking butt and taking names. Every time he poses, he just looks so regal, majestic, and absolutely lethal. I was like... I love this, but then in the back of my mind, I just kept thinking, we're not going to get this character again for at least 15 years because his kid is like seven. Unless they do another time jump. Which I think they're going to. Yeah, or so something I. weird happens in Secret Wars and they age people differently because of the quantum realm. That's a conversation for a, a whole nother day. But it just, it, and that was part of it too, though. Like the layered sadness was obviously seeing Chad and like all of that, but also just knowing like that character is so awesome. And like, you know, Forget how I used to feel about him because I didn't literally know anything about the character, but, like, now... No, but I agree. I did initially, like, I was like, who is this guy? Like, I know. go away. I, know. I literally was like, you're so annoying. You don't know what's going on here at all. Yeah, but then, like, now, like, having fallen in love with the character, I'm like, this guy is so cool, and I really hope we don't have to wait long for another Black Panther because he's freaking awesome. And I mean, we have Shuri, but like, you know, that, so that's the other thing too, is like, we have Shuri, which is good, but even just like, we haven't seen her interact as Black Panther with any of the other Avengers yet, whereas like, we definitely saw T'Challa do that on multiple occasions. So like, he's just so cool, and I love the way, you know, when he fights with or against all the Avengers, like the way that looks, and so I hope, you know, whether it's Shuri finally getting to integrate with the, the other Avengers as Black Panther, or whether it's young T'Challa doing so, that like, we don't have to wait long to see Black Panther in action with other Avengers on the screen because that character is just so cool and obviously it's so sad what happened but like let's let's bring them back let's find a way to do it like I want to see Black Panther again yeah I also thought his introduction was really well done in comparison to another character we'll get to soon which I already kind of talked about I thought it made a lot of sense especially because his first actual appearance is at the UN yeah on diplomacy so like it makes a lot of sense to introduce yourself that way and you see why he you know, gets involved. I just like, I do remember initially saying, I was like, dude, you, you don't get it. Just go away. Like, I was like, this is like family affair and you're not a part of the family right now. But I do like obviously seeing it multiple times. I totally understand. And you see that, like I said, why his involvement grows throughout the film. And I also think this is the last thing I want to say about T'Challa. There are times where I really wish I was more of a comic book fan because I can only and, you know, got involved in the MCU more deeply earlier on. I can only imagine what it was like for comic book fans to hear the king of Wakanda and then to see him walk up or you see his back first and he walks up to Natasha and he says, I am, you know, Prince T'Challa. I just like the idea of being a comic book fan and seeing that on screen for the first time and know, oh, Black Panther's coming in this film. Like, there are some things now that I, like, recognize because I'm more familiar with the universe and more familiar with the comics and, like, have done the research. But, like, I am so jealous of the fans who got to experience that for the first time and be like, oh, my God, they're bringing a Black freaking Panther. And then, of course, what they do with Spider-Man to a less effective manner. But, you know, this film is just so chock full of, like, really important character introductions. And, like, that's, like, adding almost, like, another layer to it because it's like it has major ramifications in terms of plot and over our 
overarching Infinity Saga, but then just think about the characters that are involved. Like, it's so important. Yeah, I agree. But since you brought up Spidey, right before we get to that, because that goes right into, you know, all the fights, the big fights, I have to just put this out here for the universe to know, since I know I've crapped on Sharon a lot. The MCU has managed to make me hate Peggy so much. I like Sharon now. Oh my god. I was like watching this film and I was like, she doesn't irk me. I actually am sitting here and I'm like, I wish this would have worked out. No, I cannot relate. But the one thing that did bother me about this situation and kind of where Sharon is now that I thought about was when Cap is like, you know, they're going to come after you now, right? And she's like, yeah, I know. And she's completely resigned to that. And like, I get her whole thing is like, everybody else got pardoned but me. But like, honey, everybody else didn't go become an illegal criminal when they went underground. You know what I mean? Like, she seemed very much accepting of her fate and helping them. And then all of a sudden we find out she's like super bitter. And I'm like, where did that come from? I don't know. There's a part of me that I'm like, does she know things? I mean, she's got a lot of people in a lot of places. Like, does she like almost know what Cap did at the end of Endgame? Ooh, I don't know. Just because like I sit here and I'm like, imagine that. Like, imagine that. Because then, too, you, like, sit here and you're like, was I ever somebody you actually were interested in? Or was it just because of who I was? Yeah. And who I reminded you of? Yeah. Like, I think you got to think maybe there's, if there is a connection, she's aware of something around there. There's levels to that hurt. That's fair. Wow, look at you. Defending Sharon. I know. I'm literally defending Sharon Carter right now. It's something I never thought I'd see. I know. But like I said, it's because they're shoving Haley Atwell down my throat and I just wanted to go away. <laughs> and I just like, I, I now I'm like, oh, I'm so mad Sharon just like didn't pan out because now I'm just stuck with Sharon, like stupid. Uh, it's fine. Anyway, moving on to Spidey, I gotta say some things. I hate the way he's introduced blanket statement, but I will say it's grown on me over the years. Interesting. I don't love it, but I I like, it's almost like acceptance. I like accept that this is how it happens. And I'm just like, fine. I will say this. He would have been team cap. He would have been team cap. And he explicitly says, you know, when I have these powers and I don't help people. Yes. Yes. And if you look at Tony's face, you know he knows. If he understood the situation, he would not be on Tony's side. Well, yeah. And and then when Cap tries to talk to him, he's like, what did Tony tell you? And he's like, he says that you're wrong, but you think that you're right. And it tells me that what Tony gave him was like very broad strokes and didn't actually trust him enough to make his decision and to follow him into battle to give him the full rundown of what they're actually fighting about. Yep. And so it's, you're very right, because I thought about that too when he says that. I was like, wait a minute. That's basically Cap's argument. So he's like enlisting this kid, only giving him half the information, and then the kid almost gets killed. And it's like, dude, like, what are you freaking doing? This is a 15-year-old kid. Well, and then when he sits there too, and in that statement you were saying, what he says to Cap, he says, and it makes you dangerous because you think you're right and you won't stop. And that makes you dangerous. And I sat there and I was like, or maybe that's Tony's MO. Yeah. Because I was like, him thinking he's right about the Accords and everything else going on is what's making him dangerous. Because Cat was just trying to go to Siberia. Did anyone ever hear of Ultron when Tony thought he was so right and that made him dangerous? Exactly. That's literally Tony's whole thing. That's what I mean. That's why I sat there and... Obviously, that's in the battle, but, like, even before when he first brings, you know, I almost called him Tom, <laughs> Peter in, I literally sat there and I was like, and he said that. I was like, that is all Cap. Yeah. That is Cap before he was Cap. Yeah. 
Like, he just believed in what, like, doing the right thing at all times. And so I was like, this kid, he would have had no question being on Cap's side. Yeah. Because he would not have understood why he would have been, I mean, think about it. Could you imagine if Spider-Man was being governed by somebody? Huh? Could you think about that? And genuinely, he had to sit there and wait for somebody to tell him to go to go after Vulture. Yeah. Tony didn't even want him to do that. But Tony was essentially his governing body. I know. He he essentially put the accords on Spider-Man and was like, yeah, you're not doing this. Yeah. You're done. This isn't your battle. Get out. Yep. And he fought against him. It's so funny because I'm looking at my notes now and I wrote Spidey in all caps. I was like, you know, happy. For those of you who don't know, I am currently wrapped in a Tom Holland-themed blanket. Like, I love that guy. So I'm a big Spider-Man fan. You all know this. I But I wrote Spidey in all caps, and then he then I wrote, he proves Cap's point. Mm-hmm. So it's like, come on. Like, Tony's just so shady and manipulative. He knew this kid had a hero complex for him. Like, yep. he knew he could manipulate him. It's, like, so crappy, and that's just so Tony. And one of the, actually, I wanted to talk about this, too. One of the things I completely forgot was a plot point here, and I know it's only a plot point because they couldn't get Gwyneth to appear, but, like, the fact that Pepper breaks up with him, I was like, Tony, maybe you're a fart. Like, <laughs> maybe you're just the worst. And then he uses that, though, as, like, a weapon of being, like, Maybe we need to be reeled in. Yeah. I was like, you just, you, you just, everything about you frustrates me. Totally. Because you do everything for the wrong reasons. And when you screw up, suddenly it's everybody else's fault. Yeah. And it's like, it, it's just, it's extremely, like, irksome. But beyond this, we get into this battle. Big airport battle. Cool, cool, cool. First off, I enjoyed during this battle that there were small references to things. Like, one, the fact that Tony told Spider-Man to go for Cap's legs. How many times in Winter Soldier was I like, you know, if the guy with the machine gun just shot at Cap's legs, like, he would have put him down. Like, the, the shield only covers the top half. Like, I was like, his legs are fully exposed. There was, like, dude, just aim low. It really, like... But on top of that... I think it was Ant-Man that called Hawkeye Arrow Dude. Yeah. And I literally was like, I love that. Because it's pretty much a reference to everybody who's just like, oh yeah, and the Arrow Dude. Like, I don't know, the other Avenger. Who's that guy? You got like the god, the man in the iron suit, the super soldier, and the failed super soldier. And then you got Arrow Dude. I was like dying. Yeah. No one knows his name. They just call him Arrow Dude. I was just like, I enjoy the small little like references. But then of course, this like some partially entertaining some like very serious and all trying to kill each other fight so good it's a oh it's a great fight but turns very dark very quickly when vision shoots Rhodey out of the sky yeah i didn't forget that it happens because obviously it's like a major thing but like i wasn't really thinking about it and then as they got to the airport and like we're going through i was like oh no i was like i don't want to watch this i don't like i like had this pit in my stomach and like it's so interesting, like, the airport fight in Germany is probably the moment I became a major fan. I remember being in the theater and thinking, now this, this is freaking cinema, right? Like, watching all of those Avengers line up against one another and fight. So that's the moment I turned. So normally, or, you know, I should be feeling, like, so much like, yes, this is the moment. 
and part of me was, but the other part of me was like, oh my god, Rhodey's about to freaking, like, lose the function or, you know, have real trouble functioning his legs after this. And I hate that because Rhodey is so awesome and I love him and I just, that part destroys me every time. So obviously, like, it's an extremely traumatic thing to watch happen. But then on top of that, another moment that made me hate Tony is when he shoots Sam for just trying to be there to help. Yeah, and I think, too, the thing that gets glossed over a lot is the fact that, you know, Rhodey and Sam have this bond of both being vets. Yeah. Like, yes, Steve, but, like, in a very different way. Rhodey and Sam are bonded in the fact that other than Sam's wings, you know, and that making him special, they are just regular soldiers. Yep. You know, and they, they serve as regular dudes for their country. They enlisted as regular men, and I think they're always going to have that bond. That's why when you see them arguing about the Accords, it's the two of them having a side conversation as the soldiers, uh, the modern day, we'll call them the modern day soldiers of the group. So they have that bond that is probably really developed off screen, and you actually see it later in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Who's the one Avenger who shows up? Rhodey. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you see that they have this bond. And yes, Sam feels bad because it was him dodging Vision's attack. That was the reason that Rhodey got hit. But like, what was Sam supposed to do? Take the hit? Like, okay, that's not really your fault. The other thing is, you know, that's his friend. That's someone he relates to. And honestly, because of how far Rhodey is along in his, you know, career, and, and he's a colonel, he has, you know, the medals he's decorated, he probably looks up to him and looks at him as almost like a mentor. And so it's like, you're, you're denying the fact that this man never, never wanted, this man being Sam, never wanted to see his friend go dead stick and fall thousands of feet. That was never, that was never his intention. Well, and let's just bring up the fact that Sam lost a friend flying. He's seen him die. Yeah. That probably brought up so much. Yeah. And so I just sat there and once again, it was a, an example to me where I was like, you're an overgrown toddler. You are an overgrown toddler. It's it's Tony's friend. It's his grieving process. And it was your own guy who shot him down. Well, not even that, but other people love Rhodey. Rhodey is not just your friend. He had other people who loved him, other people who cared for him, other people who he had relationships with. And what? Because you're grieving, no one else is allowed to grieve? Because he and Sam were on different sides of the accord, suddenly that negates Sam's feelings about this whole thing, too? Yeah. Like, Tony, it just he struggles to see beyond himself. And it's just so aggravating. Literally always. And Natasha even calls him out for that at the very end. She was like, what about your ego? Yeah. Could you ever put it aside? And he can't. And that's what this whole film, and that's what I mean. And that's why I started with like a little like ribbon of, hey, PSA, sorry, I'm about to bash on Tony to all the Tony fans because this entire film upsets me so much in different ways. And so then, like, this happened. This was a whole thing. Now I'm heated. Okay, then he finds out that Cap was right. First off, there's not a cell in my body that thinks he made it to Siberia right behind them. Not I was a cell thinking in my about body. that, like, too. The man ran 19 errands. Yeah. Unless he, like, supersonic the suit or something. I was like, how did he get there? There's no way. My guy. Okay, let's put this into perspective. Cap and Bucky leave Germany to go to Siberia. Yeah. While they're all still fighting at the airport. Yeah. They take off. They go to Lou. The whole roadie thing happens as they're flying away. They are flying. They're gone. 
Rody thing happens. You gotta assume there was, like, a moment. They make it to an airport. Or not an airport. A hospital. They're at an airport. They make it to a hospital. Okay. Then he's in New York. Because he goes back to the compound. (laughs) And he's at the compound. Then he goes to the raft. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And he's at the raft. And then he leaves to go to Siberia. And he shows up five minutes after Captain Bucky. I was like, there's not... I, like, genuinely, you cannot tell me that's accurate at all. Yeah. There's no way. And then they were like, Zemo's had to have been here for a couple hours. So have they. Yeah. There's no way they have not been there long enough that he caught up to them. Yeah. I need to talk about something because it's something that bothers me and it's, like, very confusing to me. I don't understand. And, like, you're the expert here, so I'm leaning on you. Okay. Hydra, part of the Nazis. Why are the call words Russian? Why is he kept in Siberia? I don't understand. Russia fought against the Nazis so I in World War II. So I just, like, that's the one thing I never understood. Like, is Hydra German? Are they Russian? So here's what my understanding was. If we go back all the way to Cap 1, I'm just going to call him the Red Skull because I don't remember his actual, like, human name. The Red Skull does grow underneath Hitler. He's German. Yeah. But he even says what he's doing is bigger than Hitler's little war, as he, like, pretty much says. Like, he sees his project beyond that. So I'm my understanding was always, he's growing Hydra. He doesn't care what sides of the war anybody is, because that's not his point. Gotcha. He's not there to fight that war. He's there to grow Hydra, and he's there to take over on his own account. And he's taking over more than countries. So... I think he had people, he had cells everywhere. I mean, keep in mind, like, Cap's going after all the Hydra bases, right? Yeah. That's his main thing. So my understanding just always was, you know, here were some Russian soldiers who wanted, and scientists who wanted this. I mean, that's where Zola was. Because that's where they did all the operations on Bucky. Yeah. Like, and where they kept him. So I think then he was kept, I mean, keep in mind, even to this day, like, Russia's like, no one knows what's actually there half the time. In our world, like, Russia's a huge country. It's like, you know, and I'm not going to get into any of that, obviously, but I mean, like, look at how that applies into this film. Like, that was probably the safest place to keep him. Yeah. They had a division over there. And of course, it's the safest place. They're supposed to be allies in the war. Yeah. And then on top of that... Even during the Cold War, well, they're not in Russia. It's Cold War for a reason. Like, it wasn't like they were having active fights. Like, we pretty much were just, like, jabbing at each other for, like, 60 years. (laughs) But... Like So, I mean, it's a safe place to keep him. So that was always my understanding of that, was because he was operated on there and everything and created fully in that area, because that's where Zolo, f- he fled into there before he came to the U.S. That was my understanding. Okay. I just, I've, that's always bothered me because I never really understood how that worked, because I was like, Hydra is like so clearly born out of the Nazis. Like, that's such a major part of their origin story. Yeah. Well, and to be fair... Zolo is the one who did the mind scramble. He created the machine to do the mind scramble. The words are what gets him to comply. Yeah. So it's very possible that by the time Zolo perfected the mind scramble, because he that's what he was testing on all the American soldiers when Cap, you know, freed them. That right. That's why Bucky was literally in the middle of being tested that. You could see the marks on his face from the machine. So my understanding, too, is like, it's possible that by the time he ended up over there in Russia and they did everything there... They hadn't perfected yet the compliance sector, and by the time they did, he was in Russia. 
So the Russians used Russian words. That's fair. Okay, thank you. Because I, like, wrote that in my notes. I was like, that is something I never understood. Yeah. Because all of a sudden they were, like, part of different countries. Yeah, my understanding is just that Hydra grows no matter where Hydra... Like, no matter what the boundaries, the wars, whatever, Hydra grows where it wants to grow. So they had probably Russian cells. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. Thank you, my friend. Got you. I was like, the Winter Soldier expert, she will know. Yeah, that's always been my understanding of it. I mean, if you go into the comics, obviously there's a little bit of a different realm because he trains Black Widow in Russia. Like, there's a lot of realm there, too, but we don't really get to explore that in the MCU, which is sad to your face. Which brings me to something else that I won't mention now, but we'll get to mention in the Thunderbolts because I'm very excited for the Thunderbolts because of some of these people's backgrounds. Yeah. But obviously, okay, so we end up in Siberia. Let's get ourselves on track here a little bit. Once again, I don't think Tony could have arrived five minutes later, but it happened. And, you know, the whole mission report, December 16th, 1991, takes place. And this also makes me angry with Tony because I get being mad. I get explicitly being mad at Steve for not telling him. Yeah. Even though I do understand Steve's reasoning beyond that as well, which he talks about at the end of the film. He's like, I didn't know. Like, it was a weird situation. I didn't, like, I wasn't sure. Like, it was like, and that's fair. What do you say? Well, there's not a handbook for what do you do when your childhood best friend kills the parents of your new bestie in the past when he was under mind control. And I was in the ice, so I literally wasn't even, like, present when this happened. So, like, I sat there and I was like, okay. So, I can get still feeling anger and stuff, but I sat there and especially when he was trying to, like, really kill Bucky. And at one point he has him in a chokehold and he goes, do you even remember them? And Bucky was like, I remember all of them. Yeah. And I was like, dude, what is wrong with you? Like, this guy... He didn't sit here and go, I'm going to kill the Starks today, like, rack them up. Like, no, like, he literally was under mind control, which we've established throughout this whole film. It's not like you don't know that. Then you saw what he was capable of doing when he was put under that mind control. You went hand to hand with him and he almost killed you. Like, it just, it was so frustrating. It's so frustrating. That's the other thing I never understood. What was Howard Stark doing with the super soldier serum? I don't know. Where was he taking it? Yeah. Like, I know they, they talked about in the barf scene, they talked about Langley and taking it to the CIA. But why? How did he get it and why was he taking it there? Yeah. And it wasn't perfected because you could see with Eva, even Hydra, they had issues with they're their second made super soldiers. Yeah. They were too unruly. That is a thread that I wish would have been resolved. Or at least, like, give me some information. What was Howard doing with it? How did he get it? Like, did he make it? Yeah, like, I'm going to keep repeating those questions because I'm confused. And I, there's a part of me that, like, assumes he had to know he was going to die. Well, the one thing that I never thought about before... But the fact that he recognized Bucky when he went to go kill him. <gasps> I recognize it. Every time that happens, I'm like, I know it's happening. And he's straight. But if you look at Bucky's face, there's a moment where he's like unsure. Really? When he first pulls him out, it's almost like he recognizes him like just enough. And he kind of like pauses for a second. And his face falls slightly from like the stoic. Like he kind of like he shows something on his face. And then he goes, Sergeant Barnes, and you can just see him kind of go right back into his, like, thing, and he just wails on him. But yeah, the fact that he recognized him, oh, I was like, oh. I know. I never really thought about that before, but then I was like, he would have known him. He knew Steve. That was Steve's best friend. Like, that's, 
That was rough. And one other thing I never understood about that is why he shot the camera after he killed them. Yeah. Like, what was the... I feel like Civil War could have been avoided if he had just, like, clocked the... Like, one, what were you gonna do? It already captured you killing them. And two, like, if you had just clocked that beforehand, this all could have been avoided. I also don't really understand how he got them at the one part that there seemed to be a camera in the woods. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I was like... Okay, how'd you get him at that exact spot? Yeah, I never really got that. But I guess to be fair, like, he's obviously not sitting here thinking to the top tier. His main mission was clearly to get the super soldier serum and leave no witnesses. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, honestly, they had the tape. So it's possible he shot out the camera, took the tape, and left. So they had it. That's why Zemo did all the work that he did to find it. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. That one. That one's tough. I get why Tony's upset. It's just like, you know, he's not mature enough to look at the bigger picture. And then you have the dichotomy between him and T'Challa, and that's what makes me more angry. Yeah. T'Challa lost his dad days ago and is sitting there having a conversation with the man who did it. And saves him from killing himself. Yeah. I mean, that's mostly out of vengeance because he wants, you know, him to be punished in the realm of the living, but... You know, still. Yeah. Like, he could have killed him. Or let him die. Yeah. And he chose not to. Yeah. He chose to be the bigger person. And he even said it. He said, they're being consumed by vengeance down there. And I, that's the only thing I would correct T'Challa on is, only Tony is. I was like, and I don't mean to be this person, because grief is grief, but I was like, Tony lost his parents years ago. He was like 20 when he lost his parents. Like, he lost his parents years ago. That's not a fresh wound, but you lost your dad days ago, and you sat here... And you're talking to the man who did it. And you also found out it was only a means to an end. Yeah. Which is the worst part I think about that is it truly was only a means to an end. And he didn't have to die. No. You know, he just, truly, if anybody else had been up on the, if anybody else had been up on that dais, they would have been the one who died, not him. It was a timing thing. Because at the end of the day, T'Challa and the Wakandans didn't necessarily need to be brought into this to further where it needed to go. Yeah. So I just like, when you see that the difference between the two of them, it makes me even more angry because I was like, really? Well, and then just if we're going to stay on this T'Challa thread for a second, the one thing I clocked this time that I never did before, and maybe I'm just misremembering the beginning of Black Panther because I truly, like, I have not watched that movie since the memoriam when they played it right after Chadwick died in 2020. Same. And I actively don't watch movies with him in it. It just makes me sad. But at the end of this film, he's in Wakanda with Bucky and Steve. But at the beginning of Black Panther, we see him returning home from this whole side mission, right? Or is that a different mission? I I assume it's a different mission because Okoye is with him and she wasn't with him in this film. Okay. Well, and I also think, one, I assume it's a different mission, but even if it's not, theoretically, that scene with him and Steve and Bucky could have happened. We just didn't see, like, he could have returned home. We saw the returning of him being home, all that interaction, and maybe that happened, like, in between some other things. And then, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I do assume... It was from another mission he came home. Okay, because I was just a little... The way it's framed in Black Panther just feels like kind of like an immediate aftermath of Civil War. So that's why I kind of was a little confused when I watched it this time. I was like, wait a minute, isn't that the kind of scene? And then I forgot that this end credit scene happened. But yeah, that was my that was my one other thing I wanted to bring up because I was a little confused. Yeah, I think it's just... there. There's like unexplained timing with it is my understanding. Yeah. But the last thing I want to say, which we did, we hinted on a little bit, we talked about a little bit, is you know what? Steve extended an olive branch. Yep. He apologized to Tony. He still said, he was like, I know we don't agree on the accords and we're not going to. 
Like, he explicitly said, sorry, dude, that that ship sailed. But he apologized for everything. He apologized for the fact he didn't tell him about Bucky. And he, one, gave him a phone to call him on. But he also was like, I'll be here. Like, I got you. Don't worry. And for a split second, if I didn't know what comes, you know, down the road, I was like, good. Like, they made up in their own way. Yeah. And then obviously Tony's too freaking proud. And we see that play out. And I I don't want to go down the road of Infinity War Endgame, but I will say that is always something that makes me the most angry in Endgame when he was like, you said we'd beat them together and where were you? Um, a phone call away, my guy. He was on the run, though, because you made him a criminal. But also, like, and I know we're, we really cannot get into this. It's going to get its whole own episode. I know. But also, it's not like he wasn't doing anything. He was fighting the Black Order who was trying to get Vision and the stone within his head. So he was kind of otherwise occupied. Not to mention then Thanos appeared with five stones. Yeah. So if anything, and I get what Tony was doing on Titan, but because nobody knew he was doing that on Titan, if anything, like, what were you doing? Yeah. Hello? Like, you disappeared into space on a spaceship, and here we were. Like, <laughs> like I get that you're butthurt because you lost the kid, and that's, like, his whole thing is, like, I mean, Peter's the whole reason he, bring, you know, gets the idea of time travel when scott brings it up he's the whole reason he gets back in the fight but yeah yeah all right aside done we'll we'll hit on all of that when we hit endgame yes but thank you all for checking in with us for this replay episode this is going to be our last replay episode for a couple of weeks as we head into ant-man so super super excited for that if you are looking forward to hearing us talk all about quantum mania and the quantum realm i promise you we're gonna do a buttload of research so that we can give you all of the things that you need to know going into the film you can subscribe on your podcast platform of choice you can also follow our blog or check out any merch you might be interested in at our redbubble shop link below and make sure you guys are also following us on twitter at let's talk mft and instagram at let's talk dot mft although you should still be able to find us without the dot that is a great way to keep up with us know when new things are coming out blogs all sorts of stuff as Taylor said, we will be starting our Quantumania coverage very quickly, very soon. Please get your tickets if you haven't already. I don't know why I feel like Marvel's ignoring that Ant-Man's coming out, but like it's coming out in like two weeks. So make sure you guys are getting your tickets for that. We will be covering that coming up. And as always, Marvel just blew your mind, so let's talk about it.